The following program is brought to you by Mind's Eye, the virtual newsstand. Welcome to 501 Crossroads. 501 Crossroads is your show all about nonprofits and the people that make the mission happen. I'm Natalie Jablonski, the Nonprofit Ninja, specialized in helping nonprofits maximize their time, talent, and resources to achieve organizational greatness. And my co-host, Marjorie Moore, has the day off today. So I have a special guest that's joined me. Uh, that's Tom Sapila. Tom is a golf professional at St. Clair Country Club, which is a traditional, private, full-service, family-oriented, uh, I might add, social club located in the west end of Belleville, Illinois. Uh, St. Clair is one of the finest golf facilities in the St. Louis metropolitan area. It's been known many years for its ch- very challenging, I can attest to that, uh, beautifully maintained course. Uh, and many mon- nonprofit organizations host their golf tournaments at this premier location. Uh, Tom has been a golf professional there for the past six years and served as a golf pro for hundreds of nonprofit tournaments. So who better to have with us today? We're really honored to uh, have Tom in the studio with us today. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Natalie, and certainly a pleasure to be here today. Fantastic. So what we're doing today, folks, is nonprofits are known for their golf tournaments. And it's the weather. It's gorgeous. You know, you see people out there. I bet your course is buzzing, isn't it, Tom? Certainly is. Lots of people excited. And so what a better time then to let's brush up on some of our golf information, why we host golf tournaments, what's important to us, and things that we need to know as whether we're volunteering on the golf tournament, maybe we're a staff and we're running the golf tournament, uh, whether you are a novice golfer or uh, you are a experienced, super experienced golfer, or maybe you've never even stepped foot on a golf course. I think you're going to get some great stuff out of today's show, wouldn't you think? No question. You know, and Natalie, it's just one of the great things about the game of golf is that you can play it uh, your entire life, you know, and with the use of electric carts and gas vehicles, uh, you know, players can get out there at any age and, and really enjoy the game. That's a great point. So we are talking about nonprofits who serve a wide variety of clientele, regardless of the age. So great point on that. So why do nonprofits host golf tournaments? And of course, we know the number one reason is for fundraising. And that is a big piece of this. And You get that fundraising dollars through player fees, raffles, contests on the course, silent oral auctions. And we're going to talk about some uh, neat tricks, perhaps, that you can implement on that on that area of fundraising. Uh, I think I also see donor appreciation. Don't you, Tom, when they come out, they get excited about playing a course, especially one like St. Clair? No question about it. A chance to play uh, an elite country club and, and really enjoy that atmosphere, as well as the sponsors. Uh, in many cases, will have signage on the course that will recognize their business or their profession, uh, which is kind of exciting to be out there playing the hole and, and having your name, so to say, on that golf hole. That's another great point. And don't forget, of course, donor prospecting. So these are people who you already have close to the organization, but often they bring their friends, their family, perhaps work associates with them. These are potential donors for your organization. So when we are talking about hosting golf tournaments, whether you have a current tournament within your realm of events or you've been pondering the idea, today you might be able to get some ideas. So let's let's do some true confessions. Uh, I love golf. I love chasing my ball uh, down the fairway, and sometimes I can get it in the fairway. I like to be in the rough a little bit more. And when I tell people things like this, I often will either get a response or the deer in the headlights look. Right. Because they have no idea what I just said. Sure. So let's do some golf 101 terminology, shall we? So I was on a website called thebestgolftips.com, which is not near as good as having Tom in the studio with us today, but just getting some ideas of what are some of those basic tips that people need to know when it comes to golf. And I see this in sponsorships where they name their sponsorships after Eagle, Birdie, Par, Bogey. They have no idea what those words mean. In fact, truth be told, when I started in nonprofit management, I had the first golf tournament. I did not play golf. I hadn't ever picked up a club with the exception of miniature golf, which is a tournament all on its own, by the way. 
Uh, but I didn't know what the terms meant. I started golfing because I was a nonprofit leader and I thought it would be good for me to understand the game more. So what is this? What are these kinds? It sounds like a bunch of birds, eagle, birdie, par, bogey. These are not collectible birds that we're putting on a shelf, right? These that, are. That is correct. Yeah. Par is a great place to start. Par right. is actually a number that's associated with the length of a golf hole. Now, when you talk about the uh, collection, there are 18, typically 18 holes in a golf course. At St. Clair Country Club, par is 72. So par is going to be determined by each individual hole's length. And, and just to keep it simple, if a player, uh, uh, let's just say an experienced player is able to drive the ball off the teeing ground onto the green, the, the putting surface in one stroke, typically that's going to be a par three. Okay. So they're going to drive the ball onto the green, typically two putts to put the ball into the hole. They've made a three and they move on. A longer hole or a medium range hole would be a tee shot off, off the teeing ground, then a, an approach shot, a second shot from the fairway to the green, once again, uh, including two putts, which is fairly typical. Uh, par five, which are going to be the longest holes, uh, simply uh, a tee shot, that second shot, and then it's going to take typically a third shot of shorter distance to put the ball on the green in three strokes, add your two putts to get you to the par five. So if someone says that this hole is a par five, essentially what they're saying is for a, a good golfer, uh, an experienced golfer, it would take an average of five times hitting the ball to be able to get it into the hole. Exactly. Okay. So that's par. That's, that's, the, that's where we'd all love to be, right? That certainly is a great place to uh, set your goals to shoot par. So I'm going to go on record and say that I don't often get to enjoy par. I'm typically a little higher. So what's our next, what's our next level of? Well, of scoring? when you start, when you start getting into scoring, you're, you're looking, uh, and I like to give the good news first. So you get to the, the term eagle. Eagle sounds great. Uh, there's actually, uh, in addition to eagle, there's a double eagle. So if you happen to be on a par four, that's a shorter uh, par four, and you were able to drive the ball into the hole in one, that's also called a hole in one, but it's a double eagle. So it's actually, uh, you're getting to the point where now where you're, you're three under par. Uh, on a par three, if you were to put the ball in the hole on your tee shot, on that first shot, once again, that is an eagle, otherwise known as the elusive hole-in-one. Okay. So that's very exciting for a player in their entire golfing career to capture a hole-in-one or maybe to do it a few times in a, in a lifetime. Okay, so so birdie then would be one less stroke? That Yeah, well... Or one more. So birdie would t- typically be one stroke less than par. Okay. So if you were to, uh, on a par three, drive the ball on the green, and, and instead of using two putts to put it in the hole, you made it on that first attempt. You made a two on a par three. Now you've got a birdie, uh, a three on a par four, or a four on a par five, uh, which is a great score, and, and that's an under par score uh, and, and termed as a birdie. So essentially, uh, an eagle would be two under par. A birdie is one under par. Par would be even. That's exactly right. And so someone like me who typically goes over par, then what is that, what is that called? Well, that's called a bogey. It's a bogey. And then we start getting into uh, the numbers that are over par. So a single over par is a bogey. If you were to shoot two over par, say a six on a par four, that would be a double bogey. Oh my goodness. Um, start- There's no wonder that nonprofits are complicated, think this is complicated, but it's really quite simple once you get out there. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's pretty simple to keep track of the scores. Uh, for most players uh, who are playing in nonprofit, uh, these charity type of events, you know, they're playing a scramble format. You're not always playing your own ball. That's a great that's a great point. So what is a scramble? Because I think people hear that and they're not even sure what that means, except for the fact that it looks like everybody's running around the course. Right. And that's, <laughs> that's not right. what that's not that's what it exactly is. Right. Yeah, scramble. <laughs> I'm not sure where the name came from, but basically a scramble is all the players in the team would tee off the teeing ground. And then you have the opportunity to select your best drive. And, and after that drive has been selected, everybody would place their ball at that spot 
everybody would play a second shot from that spot. So some people like to term that as best ball or scramble. It's, it's really best shot. Okay. The whole team is playing to, uh, together from the same position all the way around the course. And, and this is a time where you could have players that maybe aren't uh, necessarily uh, experienced golfers and they could shoot par for the first time because they've got the help of the team. Yeah, so it sounds like for those of you who are new at golf and uh, you're trying to enter perhaps a nonprofit tournament, the key would be to get someone who can save you on some of those shots, and and then you just kind of follow the leader around and learn from them, right? That's right. Choose a good partner. Choose and, a good partner. And, and also uh, work on your putting because putting simply um, is what wins games when you're talking about scrambles. You want to be able to knock that ball in the hole once you See, all those times my kids or my parents took me to putt-putt as a kid, it's now paying off, right? It just, That's the, right. The patience and concentration. So the other piece that I hear people get confused on when they talk about a golf course is just the different locations. So the green, the tee, the rough, the fairway, how do you know? And people will tell you, oh, it's in the fairway. And people who don't play golf don't understand why they know that. So what's the best way for a non-golfer to know what they're meaning when they're saying where well, the ball is. When you come to the golf course, obviously there's a starting ground or a first tee and the first tee is going to be a closely mown area. Typically it's oval or square in shape and it has markers, which are typically small wooden or, or plastic or cement blocks where you place your ball on a, a small wooden golf tee in between those blocks. And that's how you start each hole is by striking a tee shot. Once you get out onto the course, you're typically going to have three different types of areas. You're going to have a, a once again, a closely mown I, I would kind of describe it as a runway. Mm-hmm. If you think of it as a runway, it's a closely mown area known as the fairway. That's where you want to be because your golf ball will typically sit nicely in the fairway. Then you have the rough. The rough is simply an area that is not mown closely, typically two to three inches. The ball will nestle down, makes it a little bit more difficult to hit your ball from it. And then you have what we call hazards. Hazards could be lakes. I thought hazards were when I played golf with you. That's not, that's not what it is, huh? No, no, no. You gotta give yourself a little more credit. <laughs> so hazards could be lakes or they could be, uh, rough areas where water would collect when it rains or they could be sand traps or, or otherwise known as bunkers, which are manicured basically. Uh, it's like going to the beach. Great. So if you are one of our listeners right now and you are not familiar with golf and you find yourself scratching your head a little more perplexed than usual, I want to give you some uh, comfort in knowing that we are not just going to talk lingo all day, which, but that's a great basis for those of you who are wondering the difference. I want to also talk about the do's and don'ts of golf spectatorship, because here is where I see a big downfall when it comes to nonprofit tournaments. We are blessed with having some of the best volunteers on the planet that help us with nonprofit tournaments, and they are willing to do whatever you need them to do. However, I've seen some great volunteers do some really terrible things that really can aggravate the golfers. And when you're out there for a tournament, you're there just, yes, you are to have fun to support the organization, but there are times and places for fun and there's time and places to make sure you're focusing on the game of golf. So let's get a couple ideas as to how you as a nonprofit leader can make sure that you're training your volunteers and your staff to make sure that you are doing the right thing at the right time and not the wrong thing at the wrong time. So one of the great resources for this is the alltimedummies.com. Uh, it has books on everything, and this there's the do's and don'ts of golf spectatorship. And I'm sure that, Tom, you could probably tell stories that would absorb our entire time today on the audience of things you've seen, and I will share some of those perhaps. But one of the big pet peeves I see, especially for golf pros, is when the golf carts are used on the course. So we know nonprofit Leaders use golf courts for golf carts for all sorts of things. They're taking photos to make sure their PR team is out there. Perhaps they're selling raffle 
tickets on the course. They're making sure that's available. They're relieving those great volunteers, making sure they have a chance to refresh and use the restroom and get something to eat and drink. Uh, and then also to make sure that the guests who are golfing have refreshments. So they're out on the course with these golf carts. But I've seen some really great volunteers do some really bad things. And I see golf pros on the side just pulling their hair out, right, Tom? And I'm sure you've experienced that or at least heard stories about it from others, right? Well, it's it certainly things things do happen. And, and when you're in an environment where you've got 120 to 160 players on the golf course, the, the place is packed. And there are areas you, you want to drive a cart, other areas you really shouldn't drive a cart. You know, I, th I think the top of the list is, you know, to remember that golf is a game of concentration. It's a little different than uh, when you're going to a football game or a baseball game when the crowd is cheering. In golf, uh, you really want to be quiet and motionless when someone is striking their ball. Now, when they're moving from shot to shot, it's, it's certainly fine to to be traveling in a cart or to be asking questions or having a conversation. But I think the, the number one thing really would be to have a great awareness for your surroundings. And that's what I try to teach my staff at, at St. Clair, because on a daily basis, we're working around the grounds and taking care of the driving range and the, and the areas in the front of the shop. And you want to have an awareness. Uh, an example would be you wouldn't want to throw a cart in reverse and have the, the beeper on the cart that's telling you the cart's in reverse while somebody's trying to make a three-foot putt right there on the ninth green. It might distract them. They have to back off. And the chance that the person misses the putt you know, you don't want to give them uh, that opportunity to say that, you know, it was because uh, you weren't paying attention. That's a great point. I have been on tournaments before where I've seen sponsors at the tee box, uh, which are fantastic because those are our bread and butter, right? Nonprofit uh, leaders out there. We love our sponsors, but they're there shaking hands and talking about their product or their service, but they're continuing their conversation while people are trying to tee off and they're in the middle of their backswing and they're still having this telling this funny story about what happened last weekend, just completely being unaware of their surroundings. And I see that that could be a, a big challenge. So even talking to not only your volunteers, but your sponsors, reminding them that they're a guest of this club, of this uh, of this nonprofit today, and we're asking them to respect some of those rules and regulations. No question. I think one of the greatest uh, things to really talk to the staff and the volunteers about is safety also. Because, because you know, golf, uh, you're hitting a, a ball that's 1.68 inches in diameter, and it's traveling sometimes at 100 plus miles an hour. And not everyone has control of that golf ball. Even the best players in the world hit it into the crowd once in a while. So when you are out there traveling, say you're going to par three to pick up some volunteers to change shifts or, or something like that, you really want to make sure that you're not traveling into uh, someone who's hitting in your direction. Uh, you might, you know, you don't, certainly don't want to get hit with a golf ball because that could really be a dangerous situation. So in that case, Tom, so you're traveling down the cart path because that's where your cart should be. That's right. Primarily located, right? Yes, absolutely. And you see someone on the tee box. What's the protocol? Do you stop? Do you wait? Do you flood? Do you like wave at them and ask it's, them it's questions? Kind of, yeah, it's kind of like pedestrians when you're driving your car. So they always have the right of way. The so golfers the, always the golfer have the right of way. always has the right of way. So as a general rule, uh, you see somebody that's approaching their ball. They're what we call addressing their ball, which is stepping up and, and about to make, an, uh, make a swing and attempt. You would want to park your cart off to the side, uh, whether you could seek shelter behind a tree or you felt like you were far enough back that you, you weren't really in their line of sight. Uh, the worst place to be is, is right in front of someone. The second worst place to be is in close proximity and directly behind that person because they can see you in their peripheral vision. Uh, typically you want to be, um, you know, in a spot that would be, 
um, what we call a safe distance. Okay. And that's really a judgment call uh, for the person. That, that's why it's great to have some experience. If you do have experienced golfers, those are the, the people I want behind the steering wheel in those important positions traveling around the course. And I think that that's really good, too, for people who are um, going out to a golf course for the first time, not perhaps thinking about, oh, it's a beautiful day, being aware of those surroundings because with they're there, they're volunteering or they're doing something else. It's another job that they've been assigned. They're not playing the game. So they're not perhaps in that mindset of what's going on, where's the golfers, what's happening. And it can be very difficult if it's a course that you don't, you don't know. Oh, that's a you good don't point. Know, you don't know the layout. And once again, sometimes we have two groups that start on each hole. You've got 144 players out there. So there, there are people literally everywhere. And you could be uh, in a situation where you could get in between two holes. Uh, at our course, an example would be uh, the first fairway uh, and the 18th fairway are adjacent to each other. So you could literally have somebody shooting over your right shoulder. Uh, from behind you, you could also have somebody shooting uh, over your left shoulder in front of you. Oh, wow. And you could be facing players in both directions. So that's where it's really important to know, uh, you know, should I even be here in this position in the, in the middle of the area? Should I, should I just get out of there and get to a safe spot, say behind the green? And I think if you happen to get yourself in a situation where you're not sure what to do and you make your best judgment call, there's always the art of the apology, right? So making sure you say, I'm sorry, I'm new to this course. I didn't realize it. It's, it helps the organization look strong, right? That's and it right. also helps you to learn from next time and just to take that and, and grow from it. Typically, your golfers will be much more uh, savvy with, with what you're doing if they realize that you're new and you didn't do it on purpose and you were trying to That's be right. courteous. That's right. And there's no question in an events like this, these uh, charity events where uh, the players are going to expect a certain amount of movement, a certain amount of activity out there with volunteers and, and service stations and, and areas like that. So, you know, it's a little different atmosphere when you go on, say, and you watch a PJ Tour event on TV. Uh, the only people you're going to see in a golf cart in that situation is a rules official. And there are, everyone else is walking. Speaking of rules, one of the things with golf carts, I, uh, I think people don't understand the why behind it. So let's explain that a little bit, which is when they come up, they'll say it's an open course. So let's say it's a 90 degree rule today with the golf carts. Sure. And then I see someone take a golf cart and fly right across the fairway and not even observe that, which is probably our ground, the groundskeeper at your organization is probably, you know, saying they're going, are you seriously? But there's a real reason on why we have those restrictions depending on the day. And, and tell us about that. Well, no question about it. And it really just has to do with uh, the level of moisture on the golf course and, and the type of uh, surface that you're on. Uh, the fairways here uh, in this area for most clubs use uh, zoysia grass, which is very bristly. Uh, it stands up really nice. It's, it's like a very thick carpet and you could drive your cart over it and it pops right back up. It rebounds. It's, it's very resilient. Uh, if it gets very wet out and the tires are making tracks uh, so that uh, the course is getting what we call marked up, then we will ask players to keep their carts on the cart path only on those days or times. Now, the rough uh, is a different kind of grass. It's typically a fescue or a bluegrass which is more like what you would have in your yard at home. And that fescue grass um, will, will basically, when you drive over it and it's wet, will leave mud yeah. streaks. So it's it's, it streaks it streaks up a lot more and it smashes down exactly. So Which affects the ball and play for the people coming in behind you. No question about it. And sometimes it would take a week or two for that to recover. So once again, if it really gets wet out, we'll just ask the police stay on the pass. We don't want to do that because we know it's more enjoyable to drive your cart right up to your golf ball. But basically, uh, in a lot of cases here in this area, we don't use the 90 degree rule much. We typically ask players to enter at on a certain point on the fairway 
fairway, stay in the fairway as much as possible. And then because act- the resilience of the grass. Exactly right. Yeah, that um, the zoysia grass is almost got a, an astroturf type of feel to it. It's very thick and carpet-like. So you're really not going to damage it as much as you would the, the rough grass. It seems right. somewhat opposite. Now, if you're in the northern Illinois or the northeast somewhere uh, where they have bent grass, it's a little bit different. In those areas, they want you to get on and, and off in that 90-degree rule, which simply means leave the car path at a 90-degree angle or a right angle, go out to your ball, turn around and come straight back to the car path. And you want to do that all the way around the course. That makes perfect sense. So it's really about respecting the golf course, respecting the golfers who are coming behind you and respecting the rules of the game, which is part of the whole piece of golf, which goes back to another piece that I've seen. And that is appropriate attire on the golf course. Now, typically I don't see it as much with the golfers that are participating because most people who have clubs know the appropriate attire for the club, or if they're not sure, they'll call the clubhouse ahead of time and double check. So I never really see as much of a problem there. But what I do see is people who don't know what to wear to a golf course and have not been familiarized with that. Great example. I remember a few years ago, I was at a nonprofit tournament where I was playing, not running it. And the executive of the nonprofit was there in high heels and uh, pointed ones at that. And uh, he looked fabulous. No, I'm just kidding. It was a woman. Uh, but she uh, would go out and take pictures and they were standing on the green. And yet, the, if you could see Tom's face when I just said that, it says it all. It was a huge no-no. And tell us why it's so important to have the right footwear. Well, that type of situation is where the superintendent of the club who, who takes care of the grounds would be in my office the next morning asking me what happened. So uh, typically when it comes to the greens, the greens are, are mowed at a, a very, very short uh, length. It's a very sensitive area. So you want to wear either golf shoes, uh, sneakers are fine, tennis shoes are fine, uh, or some sort of flat-soled shoe. You would never want to go on with, with any kind of heels at all because it's going to poke holes in the green. And once again, each each hole that's poked into that green is going to take a certain amount of time for that to recover and when you're on the green you're certainly trying to roll your ball on a smooth surface a smooth consistent surface and and having your ball uh, pop through these little holes can really affect the the roll and, and your score in the end. So talk to me about course rules. So if we have volunteers that are coming in and they are there to be a volunteer, they're not playing. Do they typically, typically is it appropriate then for them to wear the same dress code as what's required by the course? Well, it's certainly what we would prefer. We would prefer that everyone has what we call golf attire. And, and what does and, that look like? Basic golf attire. Yeah, golf attire for men would be a collared shirt mm-hmm. and Bermuda shorts or slacks. Uh, shoes, once a good, could be golf shoes uh, could be spiked or spikeless but we use soft spikes we don't use metal spikes anymore like they did in the old days uh, for ladies it would either be a if it was a sleeveless shirt it would have a collar if it had sleeves it doesn't necessarily have to have a collar and then either a skirt a skort shorts or slacks all that's good uh, denim is not allowed generally speaking okay so all great tips for volunteers of nonprofits that are listening and trying to figure out how they would be dressing for this type of event because it is a wonderful day a great day to gauge your staff, engage your donors, engage potential new donors, and that's what it's all about. So uh, the other piece I want to talk about today that I think will be very helpful for our listeners is golf fundraising techniques. Now, I know I was on a website, premiergolfsolutions.com, and we'll be sure to make sure we post that article up so that you have those that information. It talked all about different types of contests that are available, what they call more traditional contests, and these are ones that we hear at almost every tournament. So your longest drive or your straightest drive, uh, your longest putt or a putting contest of some sort, and then perhaps maybe a closest to the hole or a hole in one. So let's talk about a couple of those, and then we'll talk about some maybe non-traditional things that you've seen, Tom. 
So when it comes to traditional contests, I hear longest drive and I hear straightest drive. And I know it seems pretty obvious, but they're both, I've, I've seen them both and I've seen them both used at different holes. So how do you determine, can you hit a longest drive and be in the, that rough that you were talking about and have a count? Or are we talking about contest has to be in the fairway? Typically uh, for a longest drive, your ball would have to remain in the fairway. Okay. So that's a requirement. Uh, if you drive the ball into the rough, you would... Uh, not be eligible for that prize. So you've got to have someone who's really got a, a, a heck of a driver and in their bag and able to use it to be qualifying in those in those areas. No question about it. And you know, longest drive contest is always fun because you know it's it's that thing that hey, I I drove it further and straighter than anyone else. The the negative to the longest drive always is there are only a select number of people in the field, especially if you have a group that maybe uh, are not avid golfers and a lot of people are just kind of coming out. They play a couple times a year. You know, they may not have the ability to to really hit a 250 plus yard drive. Uh, if you've got a half a dozen or ten players in the field who are very good players, one of them most likely is going to win that prize. So do you think that's why you see some tournaments now moving towards this concept of a straight, of the straightest drive? I think they're both good. The straightest drive, generally speaking, anyone can win that. I mean, you just simply need to hit it down the middle of the fairway. We typically, we put a paint line right down the center of the fairway and we uh, put a sign out and, and you simply a measurement if your ball is four inches from that line, six inches. And you could have driven the ball 120 yards off the tee or you could have driven it 300 yards off the tee. Uh, the contents is based on how close you are to that line, which I really think is a more fair contest for everyone. Yeah, I like that. I think it's also great for when you talk about men's contests versus women's contests, because there's definitely some different uh, different techniques with that, that you can use the straightest drive to serve both purposes. You certainly can. And, and also keep in mind that typically uh, different uh, groups are going to be playing from different teeing grounds. So you might have men playing from, say, the blue tees and ladies playing from the green tees. Uh, they might have a certain advantage and, and you might find a spot where a lady will win the longest drive simply because of the way the hole is set up. Wow. So then we have, then we go to putting. So we have longest putt that I've seen and I've also seen people do a putting contest. And how do you, I, what I'm really curious about with the putting contest is how does the golf pro pick which hole will be used that day for the putting contest? Well, for a putting contest, uh, typically what we would do is we use our putting green, which is a practice green. It's right near the first tee. So mm -hmm. uh, as contestants come off the 18th hole, they would stop by the putting green and take a shot at a very long, difficult putt. And once again, if you're going to have 140 plus players in the field, everybody gets one shot at it. It's pretty exciting if you're the one that, that captures, either makes it, or you end up with two players that make that putt. We have a little playoff and see who, who wins the prize. For the longest putt, I typically like to find a long, difficult hole on the course where it's not easy to hit your ball close to the hole in one shot. Okay. Like a long par three, our 16th hole is a great example. It's 218 yards from the back tee. And, you know, to knock it on the green is an accomplishment. To knock it on the green close to the hole is really difficult. So you end up with a lot of players who have 20, 30, 40, 50 foot putts. And once again, a chance to drain that long putt and win the prize is pretty neat. Fantastic. So with some more fun, some non-traditional contests that we've seen that really work. Uh, I love one of the ideas on the Premier Golf Solutions com which is the double your tickets concept so this is someone who the nonprofit has a tickets raffle tickets or attendance price tickets however they're doing it but obviously you're paying to play right a 50 50 or a prize and they will be out there and for double the tickets they can risk uh, but ahead of time they say yes I'll buy my tickets here and then if they 
are able to achieve whatever that goal is, uh, get it within a circle or so many inches within the hole, then they double, they pay them a double ticket turnout. So it's a win-win. Someone's buying tickets. Absolutely. And it's great because then someone also gets a chance to win even more tickets, uh, more chances to win. No question about it. It's always a greater chance that somebody's going to enter when they know if, if they excel with their shot that they're going to get double the prize. I love that. What are some of uh, your favorite contests that you've seen? Well, the Beat to Pro is, is always a fun one. We use it at the club uh, several times a year. Tell where me what that is. Typically, we'll have my, either myself or an assistant pro out on the course, uh, typically on a par three. And the contestants that are playing in the event have a chance to, uh, let's say, say, have a little contest against the pro where uh, the pro will hit a shot and then the players in the group get to hit a shot if the players hit the ball closer to the hole on their tee shot than the pro, then, then they win the prize. What I love about what I hear you saying is that the golf pro is actually out there interacting with the golfers. And I think that's a big excitement for people who are golfing because now they can ask you tips and questions and how did you do that and what would you recommend? And I bet you get asked that a lot anyway, just by your profession. Well, there's no question about it. And, you know, in a situation like this, uh, there's always an opportunity to jump in and help a player. You know, you, you've got somebody that who has a, a weak grip or they're just really not set up to the ball properly it's a great chance for the pro to step in and say hey by the way this is something that you could do to really make a difference in your game it's a small thing but you'll see a big difference over time and and they walk away with a, a free tip uh, that that player might come back and you might get a phone call later and say hey that really worked for me can i schedule a golf lesson that's that's fantastic and i gotta tell you i every tip i get for my golf game uh couldn't hurt right and I, <laughs> even the best golfers out there are constantly improving they're constantly learning that craft because it's all about uh, a contest against yourself i think it's what makes golf so exciting and for nonprofits it's a great opportunity to really get those people engaged and excited about what you're doing and your mission and raising a little money at the same time which is absolutely wonderful no question and you know for our uh standpoint at the country club we're looking for the players that come to play in these events to just have a tremendous experience and to walk away not only having uh, donated or, or helped their cause but walked away and they had a special day and, and for them uh, they want to they just can't wait to come back and do it again next year well all this talk is maybe want to go out and uh, play a few holes so i'm going to sum this up by saying thank you tom for joining us today uh, tell me how can our listeners reach you if they want more information about scheduling their golf tournament at st Clair country club or getting a hold of you great and thank you Again, I appreciate uh, being here. Our number at the golf shop, the direct line is 618-398-3402. Or you can email me directly at tcipula, which is S-I-P-U-L-A, at S-T-C-L-A-I-R-C-C dot com. Great. And we'll make sure we get that all in the show notes so you'll be able to access that through your favorite podcast. Well, thank you for joining us again on 501 Crossroads. 501 Crossroads is recorded at the studios of Mind's Eye Radio and is produced and hosted by Natalie Jablonski and Marjorie Moore. Mike Curtis is our sound engineer. Please go to iTunes or Stitchers or your favorite app and subscribe. Leave us some feedback so others can find us. And you can also find us on Facebook at 501 Crossroads. Thank you for listening today. And remember, we're all working towards the same outcomes.